Shit, they're running now. They're sprinting down here. And they're sprinting down the finish line. This spring, producer Joe was on the hunt for some offbeat history. And so, he found himself at the end of a six-day race in Queens, New York. A six-day race is pretty much what it sounds like. I mean, if you take the words literally. People walk or run or crawl for six days straight. So competitors do whatever it takes to keep their body moving for 144 hours. The rules are simple. The person who covers the most distance in six days wins. Rain or shine, runners and queens wind around cones set up in a park. The path goes past the food table, the porta parties across a parking lot, along pedestrian trails, past the waterfront, and then you're back at the starting line. Obviously, this is absolutely grueling. A typical goal is to cover 70 to 80 miles in a day. Every day. Which makes managing sleep deprivation just another part of the race. Naps are allowed. The athletes have little tents set up where they can go to get some rest. But if you're sleeping, you're not clocking any miles. And of course, the racers are competing against each other. But with six days to separate the field, you don't exactly get a photo finish. Joe spoke with an Italian racer named Andrea Marcato. The first guy could have stopped easily one and a half day before, and still he would have been first. You are competing mainly with yourself, with your own capacities. As of this conversation, Marcato was the sixth ranked athlete in the world at this particular discipline. He refers to himself as an ultra-distance runner, and he's done everything from a 3,100-mile race to a relatively speedy 12-hour competition. He insists he's normal. Actually, I work. I have, a normal, I have a normal job. I work, so... And while this sport sounds a little wacky, it's actually pretty normal. Like our Italian. It's not too different from marathons or other ultra-distance races. But Marcato's race in Queens is actually part of a very long sporting tradition, one that's older than the modern marathon, which started in 1896 at the first Olympic Games. In the 19th century, six-day races and other extreme distance events were a bona fide professional sport called pedestrianism. And for a brief, sweaty moment, pedestrianism was the most popular thing in America. A sport featuring heroic athletes, trading cards, massive paydays for winners, cheering crowds, you know, the whole deal. Pedestrianism was bigger than baseball, bigger than boxing, and bigger than horse racing. Watching people walk in circles for days at a time was just really, really popular. And in this episode, we're here to tell you why. So find a treadmill, a sidewalk, or a field. This episode is best enjoyed while walking. More after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Bijan Steven, and you're listening to Eclipsed. Pedestrianism! The sport that's just people walking in circles for days at a time. How did this become the most popular spectator sport in America? I turned to producer Joe for answers. He'll take it from here. So I arrived at the six-day race on day six as competitors were finishing up their last laps. Crossing the finish line were runners from places like Taiwan, Brazil, and Australia. But to learn about the history of pedestrianism, I talked to American hero Davy Crockett. No, 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 not that one. This Davy Crockett is an ultra runner who lives in Utah. His real name is David. I'm also kind of famous in running 100 miles on treadmills. I ran 100 miles on the treadmill in just over 17 hours. Davy is also an ultra-running historian. He's the director of the Ultra Running Hall of Fame, and he also has a podcast about the sport. Crockett says that extreme distance races trace their history to the late 1700s. Around then, a media-savvy Englishman got a lot of attention by announcing that he was going to walk 400 miles in six days. That led to a stranger but more spectator-friendly event called the Barclay Challenge. A guy named Captain Barclay literally just walked back and forth in front of a pub, over and over, until he had walked 1,000 miles. His goal was to walk one mile every hour, and the crowds ate it up. People would drive their horse carriages for miles to just come and watch these walkers walk 1,000 miles every hour over and over again. I guess there wasn't that much going on in the 1800s. So with the popularity of pedestrianism at least somewhat proven, the sport just needed a genius promoter to really take off. Enter P.T. Barnum. You know, the circus guy. Barnum had the idea to hold the six-day endurance race at an indoor venue and sell tickets. The event would be the same kind of six-day race that I attended in Queens. It was a grueling competition where entrants would walk, run, crawl, or shuffle. Anything to keep moving. Present-day runner Mercado showed me how he would lunge and stretch as he raced, which I think must have been a pedestrian strategy back in the 1800s. It's kind of like athletic multitasking. Why waste all that good time stretching in place? P.T. Barnum promoted this as a kind of race and sideshow. And in order to charge admission, he built a massive arena in the middle of Manhattan. A sucker is born every minute. He, he found a lot of suckers because they were being swindled out of their money watching this event of these skinny guys just walking around this track for six days. Imagine it's 1875, race day. Thousands of screaming fans fill the bleachers, placing bets and throwing concessions into the racetrack the size of a football field. Meanwhile, racers' families set up tents in the middle of the arena, while spectators save a nice bench for sleeping on overnight. Fans don't want to go home and miss this kind of action. P.T. Barnum cultivates a garden atmosphere by adding trees to the stadium. 
It offers a bit of shade to the wild cast of 20 to 40 pedestrians at the starting line. Some racers wear elaborate outfits for the start of the race. One pedestrian was famous for his getup of a ruffled white shirt with black leather pants. Kind of like a sexy Victorian pirate. Another one has a nice velvet suit on. With a starting gun, the race begins with a mad rush. This is an endurance sport, but some pedestrians have side bets on how many miles they could cover in the first day alone. To keep their bodies balanced, pedestrians would run in both directions on the track, clockwise and counterclockwise. Inevitably, there would be contact. As the competition dragged on, a band entertained the crowd. The racers became more and more exhausted. Some would resort to crawling, others would give up entirely. At the end of the sixth day, the winner would be showered with riches and adoration. The losers would have walked hundreds of miles for nothing. And everyone was tired. This weird spectacle from Barnum was a massive success, and it was just the start of pedestrianism's rise in popularity. Soon, racers could become superstars. But these people weren't competing against themselves, not like the runner I spoke to in Queens. The motivations were simpler. It was definitely fame and fortune. And they would be covered in newspapers all across the country and even in the United Kingdom. These stories would be telegraphed all over. And so they became very, very famous people. In one race, they could win as much as a half a million dollars in our value. The sport had more and more of a big business built around it. Pedestrians would have backers who would place big bets on them and then pay for their training. Pedestrianism was also ahead of its time in its inclusivity. Anyone could compete in the same competition. Men, women, and people of different races and ethnicities. But just because these races were inclusive, it doesn't mean they were fair. Women, for example, had to face a lot of challenges. Like one famous pedestrian, Emma Sharp. She was very successful, but the problem was, because of the wagering, there would be a lot of shady characters involved that would try to get these runners or walkers to fail. And so when Emma would be walking, she was attacked with chloroform, burning embers, people tried to drug her food and uh, tried to trip her as she went along the way. And in fact, during the late hours of her race, she carried a pistol and some policemen would have to go with her. One female pedestrian was even arrested in the middle of a race for wearing pants. And another was committed to an asylum because officials thought she went crazy from exhaustion. So the women had to put up with a lot of crap. Even still, parts of pedestrianism were ahead of the time. I mean, women weren't even allowed in the Boston Marathon until the 1970s. Now, another notable pedestrian was Frank Hart, an immigrant from Haiti. He was a champion runner who faced violent threats from the crowd. 
and some of the competitors refused to shake his hand at the starting lines. But he became one of the greatest ultra runners of his time, and in 1880, he won a six-day race in Madison Square Garden, walking 565 miles, breaking the world record. And uh, he, in that race, he earned, it earned him a fortune, nearly half a million dollars in today's value for one week's work. So, yeah, there were some great characters. I mean, they, they were so popular, they had trading cards, like baseball cards. Even now, the Frank Hart trading card is worth a lot. Unfortunately, in his own time, Hart couldn't hold his fortune. He spent lavishly and blew through all of his money. Broadly, though, pedestrianism continued to grow in popularity, becoming one of the hottest tickets in New York and around the country. Over the course of a six-day race, 100,000 spectators might pay for a seat in Madison Square Garden. Crockett found statistics that organizers sold 52,000 sandwiches during one race and made similarly huge profits on beer. People who couldn't afford a ticket would cut holes in the wall to try to get a peek inside. Kids would even climb water pipes and sneak in through windows. It became so popular, this one race, they only let 10,000 people in, and there were thousands left outside. The police had shut the doors and said, sorry, we're full, you can't come in. Once the crowd outside heard all the cheering after the, uh, the first mile of the race, they became an angry mob and rushed for the entrance, broke down the door, and pushed inside the building. And a dozen policemen had to rush in to meet them, and they used their billy clubs and pounded them on the heads. This is what peak pedestrianism looks like. But it's about to go downhill after the break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is my sleeping bag. This is coconut water. I drink it before before going to sleep. This is a book. I use it as a, as a pillow. But Back at the present day race in Queens, I visited Italian runner Andrea Mercado's tent. Cheers. You want, you want to, to make a picture of my blister? It would be sure. interesting. Yeah, that's, that's I'm taking a close look at the feet of a man who's walked nearly 500 miles in six days. And it's weirdly impressive. <laughs> yeah, get the profile It's, a, it's a living being. Maybe we went a little overboard with the blister pics. But the point is that people sacrifice their bodies for a kind of spiritual pursuit. The 2022 track is a site where dozens of people are smiling as they basically limp around to high-five one another. But back in the 19th century, pedestrianism's popularity was its downfall. There was too much money floating around, too little regulation... And things got ugly. Racers going after big money would straight up attack each other in the middle of the track. Their backers and trainers, they have giant bets on them. They didn't want them to stop. And so they would use very abusive techniques to keep their runner going. 
Well, one runner, he would carry a whip, and he would literally whip his legs until they were bleeding to keep him going. Uh, one team used electric shocks, so they would shock their runner so to wake him up. And then, of course, back then, there was a lot of drugs involved, a lot of stimulants, a lot of drinking, cocaine. The sport became brutal and lawless. So much so that newspaper columnists started calling for pedestrianism to be banned. Well, let me re- read one quote from the New York Sun back in 1878, that big race that uh, was held. I thought it was fascinating. It says, when the historian a hundred years hence looks over the files of this week's newspaper, he will not believe what he finds. He will take it for a poor joke and a big humbug. And... And what is there to show for the week's excitement? Several heads clubbed, thousands of poor wrenches encouraged in their betting and gambling, and four men worn out. This is a great country. (laughs) I mean, so, you know. New York City made six-day races illegal, which cut off pedestrianism's biggest market. The sport went into a kind of death spiral afterwards. Stadiums stopped packing massive crowds for professional events, and enthusiasm for distance competition diverged in multiple directions. Fans flocked to other, less brutal six-day races instead, like six-day bicycle races or six-day roller skating races. Competitions that still had all the sleep deprivation, but at least took advantage of the invention of the wheel. And of course, distance running continued in amateur leagues. The modern Olympics adopted the marathon and race walking, and then formalized rules for the sports. The format of pedestrianism, though, basically disappeared until 1980, when a San Francisco postman helped resurrect the six-day race. Now, perhaps a mailman blurs the line between amateur and professional pedestrian, but these kind of races have been going on in different places ever since. And finally, singers can come up. Back in Queens, the award ceremony is about to begin. This whole race was organized by the Sri Chinmoy Marathon team. They're a spiritual community that believes physical fitness is a step towards ultimate well-being. There's a choir that's assembled to perform an original song dedicated to the winner and their country. First place, though, is not our normal Italian Andrea Mercado. He was bested by a runner from Mongolia, Bujagal Bimba. Bimba won by 39 miles which Mercado described as a lifetime apart. He won because he just didn't stop. I spoke with Bimba through a translator. Uh-huh. So 60% is the mostly for your mind-stated mind training, and 40% is on your body-wise training. Later, Bimba showed me the van he lives out of, and his most prized possession, his juicer. A few years ago, he apparently had a whole entourage and fancy equipment, though he seems pretty satisfied now with a simpler setup. Pedestrianism is a long way from its glory days, in terms of attendance and sandwich consumption. During our interview, someone asked Mercado to sign a souvenir, which he seemed to enjoy. He said that was only the second time someone had asked for his autograph. Despite the lack of fame, current racers are still descendants of 19th century pedestrianism. They may not wear custom velvet suits, 
but they do travel around the world to push their body to the limit. They are as dedicated as ever. And I mean, how else could you walk that far? Eclipse is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by Bijan Steven, but this week it's hosted by me, Joe Hawthorne. We're written by Michael Canyon Meyer. Produced by Lane Gerbig, myself, and Tanita Rachmani. Archival research by Caitlin Rathy. We're fact checked by Alex Yablon. Our engineers are Garrett Tiedemann and Ewen Lai Tremuen. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Our executive producers are Bijan Steven and Michael Running Man Canyon Meyer. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. Special thanks to Davy Crockett, Andrea Mercado, Bujagal Bimba, his translator, NRL Naran Setsek. And a very special thank you to the organizers of the Sri Chinmoy six-day race. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipse at campsidemedia.com or tweet at us at EclipsePod. Or send us a text at 917-810-3294. Thanks for listening. See you next time.